So here's a question for you. Would you benefit from ongoing support to improve your bottom line and ultimately help you master the business of practice ownership? Tracy Trepesky International offers you a proven, impeccably designed method to scale your practice while preserving your most precious assets, your time and energy. We blend business consulting with executive leadership to bring you what you need most to help you become an agile, entrepreneurial CEO while serving your patients with the utmost attention to their care. You receive individualized coaching and support from me and our professional team, providing the best of business consulting and executive leadership coaching to grow your practice without working more. Schedule your complimentary 45-minute strategy call at tracytrapesky.com. Welcome to Thriving Practice. I'm your host, Tracy Trapesky, and I can't wait to introduce you to our incredible guests and to share business tips and strategies that will help make your life easier and support you in becoming the exquisitely fulfilled CEO you're meant to be. I am on a mission to help practice owners take back one day per week for the rest of their careers so they can focus on healing their patients and maximizing their profits. No more sacrificing your personal life or feeling burnt out. It's time to take back control and create the practice of your dreams. Whether you're a seasoned provider or just starting out, this podcast is your go-to resource for actionable advice and inspiration. Together, we'll uncover the hidden potentials within your practice and propel you towards the success and freedom you crave. So if you're ready to transform your practice, make a lasting impact and reclaim that one day per week for yourself, then you're in the right place. Let's embark on this journey together. Welcome to season six. This is episode 101 and it's me, Tracy. Today, we have a special treat for you. We recently held a captivating roundtable discussion with some expert guests, and we cannot wait to share their insights with you. Today's episode is all about effective time leadership and optimizing your energy, particularly for healthcare provider owners. We understand the unique challenges you face when building a business, providing excellent care, and staying on top of your professional game. It's a juggling act that can sometimes feel overwhelming. We all know that burnout is a serious issue for medical and dental practice owners. The demands and stress of running a practice can take a toll on your mental and physical health. It's a topic that's constantly discussed, and it seems like everybody's talking about it. But today, we're not just going to talk about burnout. We're going to explore solutions and strategies to avoid or recover from burnout while leading a successful practice and living a full life outside of work. Yes, it's possible. During our roundtable, we had the privilege of hosting two incredible expert guests. First, we had Justin Maxwell, a tax and wealth strategist who specializes in helping practice owners navigate their financial journey. Justin brings a wealth of knowledge when it comes to optimizing your resources and achieving long-term success. Justin has also been a guest on the podcast. Our second guest is Dr. Yishai Barkadari, a psychologist and therapist who specializes in working with driven professionals. Dr. Barkadari has a deep understanding of the challenges healthcare provider owners face and can provide valuable insights on maintaining your well-being while excelling in your career. Dr. Barkadari is also a multiple times guest on the podcast. 
Together with our experts, we delved into the secrets of tapping into your personal superpower to optimize your energy. We learned some time management techniques and practical strategies to balance the various roles you play, which include, but may not be limited to, healthcare provider, business owner, CEO, and leader. If you're looking for guidance on how to balance it all without sacrificing your success or well-being, this episode is for you. Join us as we dive into the wisdom shared by Justin Maxwell and Dr. Yishai Barkadari. It's a longer episode because it was a a round table that we held a few months ago, so you may want to break it down into bite-sized chunks for yourself, but I do recommend taking notes and listening carefully. Without further ado, let's get started and explore the invaluable insights and wisdom from our expert guests. Thank you again for joining us today on Thriving Practice. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We appreciate your support in helping spread the good word about our podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening for those of you who are across the globe. Thank you so much for being here today, for joining us at this roundtable to discuss the very important topic of burnout. My name is Tracy Trepesky. I'm your host today, and I'm thrilled to invite you to this or to welcome you to our first community of practice gathering. We are gathering between uh, or alternating between masterclass and roundtable formats, kicking off today with a roundtable called Conquering Burnout. Before we dive in, we'll do just just a little bit of housekeeping. I just ask you to make sure that your microphone's muted when you're not speaking so we can experience the highest sound quality. We are recording today, so we want to make sure that uh, we get a great recording and also to let you know that you can always go back and watch and listen again to take notes if you need to. We'll be emailing the replay link later today, along with a special gift for those of you who have signed up and to thank you for joining us. So before we get to our guest experts, I would like to introduce you to Miranda Dorta. She is our manager of PR and operations here at Tracy Trepesky International. I consider her to be my right arm. If it weren't for her, we wouldn't be here right now, I'm sure. And not much else would get done around here. So thank you, Miranda, for your gifts, for your talents, for keeping especially me on track, all of us on track, uh, informed and organized. (laughs) Um, Thank you for everything. Everything you do, and especially for getting up early today um, to make this happen. Appreciate you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, our first guest that we have on deck today is Justin Maxwell. Justin, give us a wave. Justin is a tax and wealth strategist. He helps medical professional business owners plug money leaks, become more efficient with the money earned, and create the certainty needed to to live a big life. He has helped hundreds of business owners around the U.S. save tens of millions of dollars in taxes and student loan interest. He is married to the love of his life and the father of three rambunctious boys. Most people will coach you on how to make more money or how to grow your money, but Justin focuses on helping you keep more of the money that you've already earned. He joins us today from West Jordan, Utah, and he serves clients all over the U.S. Welcome, Justin. Thank you for being here. Thank you for getting up super early. Yeah, thank you for allowing me to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. Excited to learn together. Thanks again. And finally, we have Dr. Yishai Barkadari. Yishai, give us a wave. Hello. 
Dr. Yushai's experience, expertise, and training as a psychologist give him singular insight as to the adaptability of the human elements of business and leadership. Leveraging his deep psychological training and experience, Dr. Yushai helps entrepreneurs and business leaders learn to make adaptability their superpower to transform challenges and, and exhaustion into energy, excitement, and excellence for themselves and their businesses. He asks us, what if you could learn to effortlessly sense what's incoming and adapt rapidly? Dr. Yushai joins us from the greater New York area, serves clients in 34 states, primarily focused on the New York City region. Welcome, Dr. Yushai. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Likewise, it's an honor to be here. Super excited to learn from your insights and your expertise. So I'm I'm thrilled to have you all here. Thank you for joining us. And before we dive in to the roundtable discussion, I just want to take a little bit of time to review the clinical definition of burnout and the 12 stages of the progression of burnout. Then the purpose of this is really to familiarize you with the clinical definition and to help you identify where you might land in the progression. From there, we'll pose some questions to our expert guests specific to identifying, avoiding, and recovering from burnout. So feel free to use the chat to share any questions that come up in the moment. Randa and I will keep track of your questions and we'll do our best to, to address them. So let's dive in. I'm not giving a big presentation. I'm really just running over them. So we're going to talk about the first of all, what burnout syndrome is. And the World Health Organization defines it as something that is very connected to our work. And we start to get to a place where we might have feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion, um, increased mental distance from one's job or feelings of negativity, cynicism, um, and reduced professional efficacy. One thing I think is really important, we hear this word burnout being tossed around all the time. Um, and I often hear it from people who are just like really tired and there's, there's not discounting that they feel tired, but burnout as a clinical definition is connected to work. And this is why it's so important for us to talk about it, especially in this capacity. So very briefly, just running over the, or running through the 12 stages of the progression of burnout. So the first stage, which I think is very interesting is the compulsion to prove oneself demonstrating our worth obsessively. Now, obsessively seems strong, but for those of us who are driven to excellence, this might be something to take note of. Is it starting to take over? Stage two, working hard with an inability to switch off. I think that's the real key there. Stage three, neglecting our basic needs. I, I hear a lot of people in the medical and dental field say things sort of jokingly, I'll sleep when I'm dead. It's no big deal. I'm always tired. Of course, I'm always tired. That's just the way it is. Hustle culture has us normalizing fatigue and, and exhaustion um, and lacking our basic needs. But we also need to pay attention, of course, to our nutrition and making sure that we stay close to our community. Stage four, displacement of conflicts, starting to look past things that could be glaring um, and problematic. Stage five, a revision of values. This is when people start making excuses, maybe, you know, overlooking things, starting to maybe even say that, you know, they maybe a while back said family was everything. And now they're a little bit more focused on their career. And they use that as an excuse as they're entering through burnout. Stage six, a denial of emerging problems. Um, you know, it could be met with like a lot of cynicism, even saying things like, oh, you know, I think people are pretty stupid. I'm the only one who can get things done right. A real sense of negativity if this is not their norm. 
stage seven. And this is where we start to become very concerned, right? I think the, the stages one through maybe four or five are a little bit more on the, okay, let's raise our awareness. There are some things we can do. I think when we start reaching stages seven and beyond, it's time to start seeking professional help. So withdrawing from social life, maybe you know, having a difficult time with their social interactions, stage eight, odd behavioral changes. Um, This is where family and friends and maybe colleagues start taking note. Stage nine, depersonalization, neither seeing oneself or others as valuable, kind of looking at the world through a very, very cynical eye and D like releasing from it. Um, stage 10, inner emptiness. This is really getting to a place of feeling empty and not being able to see what might be possible. Um, Stage 11 could be depression, a feeling of being lost, exhausted. Things look bleak. Things look dark. Everything feels heavy. And finally, stage 12, this is where it becomes labeled as burnout syndrome. This could be mental and physical collapse. Definitely medical attention is required. This was really quick. For those of you who are maybe listening to the replay, don't worry. If you want, we've got a nice uh, visual for you. Just send us an email at support at tracytrapesky.com and we'll send that out to you. But this is just to familiarize you with what burnout really is on a clinical level before we dive in to talking about how to spot it, how to avoid it, and how to recover from it. So with that understanding those 12 stages of burnout, I would love to start having our conversation in the roundtable and ask our experts to chime in. So before I dive into the questions, I'd love to hear any anything that maybe came up for you while I was going over the 12 stages. Were you, fam- or were you familiar with this? I didn't know until I started researching burnout that it was actually a medical term. So I would love to hear anything from you before we really go into um, to avoiding or recovering. I've certainly seen it. Uh, there's been increasing amounts of research, and it's been more and more acknowledged by uh, larger kind of world institutions and health institutions like the World Health Organization. Um, also, if you want like a TLDR short version of this, the way I think about it is there are three phases when it comes to burnout. The first one is fixation, fixation on work, work identity, accomplishment. There's this kind of single-mindedness. And with that comes this kind of hunger and need to prove oneself, relentless working, not kind of allowing uh, ourselves to do much else or focus on much else. That's really phase one is this fixation. Phase two is avoidance of non-work life. And that's where all the other pieces, neglecting needs, displacing conflicts, changing our values or talking about our values differently, denying problems, all of that stuff really is about avoidance of non-work or or success issues. Even inside the workplace, just pushing away anything that's like getting in the way of that success or that accomplishment or proving oneself, that fixation as it were. And then the third phase is this breakdown, which along with that, and the way I think about it is it does kind of happen in stages. And it progressively gets worse and worse and worse along the way. And that breakdown is inner emptiness, then depression, then kind of physical mental collapse. Uh, And I frequently work with clients in my therapy practice, in my psychology practice, where they're in a varying area or stage. And I've seen almost every kind of avoidance that's listed here, actually a bunch more in addition to that. And I've also seen people at various stages of this kind of breakdown process. 
Um, and I, I just, I think it's helpful to just step back and take a, a kind of bird's eye view. There's one, this fixation and this tying of work and identity and being really stuck on that. Two comes the avoidance of non-work life things or non-success um, thoughts or activities. And then that really lends itself to this breakdown stage or phase. Thank you, Yishai. My perspective is not from the professional perspective that Dr. Yishai is coming from. Mine is working with business owners and, and sensing and seeing this as we're having discussions around wealth and around what they're doing with their money, because you can see you could see these things happening. And for me to, to see this in a clinical definition and what Dr. Yishai just said, it really is clear that this is more than just like something that's happening that doesn't have a name or an identity to it, but it's, it's a reality of, of what's occurring. So for me, that was a benefit to see as being it laid out so succinctly. Mm. Yeah. Thank you, Justin. Well, one of the things that, that really sparked uh, our thinking about holding this roundtable is just the freakishly high burnout rates in the medical and dental field. And, you know, of course we've had the pandemic and we're really not on the other side of it, but the, at the height of the pandemic, I have some stats here that I just like blew my mind, <clears throat> excuse me, blew my mind that burnout rates for physicians reached about 63%. And uh, almost 50% for dentists in the US. To me, these are staggering numbers. It's not just the pandemic. I think what happened in the pandemic is that that just started to shine a spotlight on how our system is not supportive of the well being of our providers. So I would love to hear from you all um, what you see might be some of the common causes of burnout for really for any professionals, but, you know, because we're speaking in the context of medical dental providers, um, I'd love to hear if you know specific to that. Yeah. So one thing that immediately comes to mind for me is that there's, you could, I, my brain kind of separates it into two, two kind of general global sources. One is external. So it might be the business model, client acquisition, billing or legal issues, all this kind of like life circumstances. There's stuff that's external to we'll say our brain our own body um and so there's there's stuff that on that end that can put a great deal of pressure that can then lead to this again those kind of three phases the fixation and then the avoidance of other stuff and and then eventually this kind of breakdown and then i think there's internal elements or pieces and maybe uh justin you can speak a little bit more to some of the external parts than i could uh given the work that i do um, the internal stuff that I often see are sometimes there's anxiety or stress that can be more internalized or trait driven. Sometimes it also has to do with past experiences. Like if someone's had, there's a term called financial trauma. If they grew up with, or at some point lost a substantial amount of money or had insecurity, financially speaking, that can really create this internal drive of, I must develop, build, create a level of security, and that really kind of pushes themselves forward. It can come from other places also, um, such as ambition, this drive to build something bigger or more. Uh, and this the need to prove can come from that insecurity. It could be about the self. It could be because of past experiences that were more circumstantial. And it might also be about beliefs or assumptions about ourselves, about business, about the world that kind of lead us to, to see 
or to think that we have to, that there are these massive consequences if we don't, or to imagine them and get really caught up in this kind of catastrophizing, catastrophic thinking. And then a last piece that I see, at least internally, is an over-identification with work. So when someone's identity is really tied to their success at work, and so it's like every time things are going well, they feel better about themselves. And the moment anything at work starts to drop, it's like their ego or their sense of self is really tied in, in a way that they take every mistake, every failure, every setback, every challenge as a punch to the gut. And then that just it it ties them so deeply into work must go well that it it kind of feeds the fixation process. So those are some of the things I see, at least on the internal side. Uh, and I would love to hear, Justin, your your thoughts on perhaps some of the external pieces or um, or uh, other thoughts you have. Well, those are I really like the way you phrased that because I do see there's a few things that I've seen. So number one is oftentimes in the medical profession from the world perspective, society's perspective is you have reached the apex of success. And so you're making a lot of money. Society is viewing you as like the professional and the person. And then you're, you oftentimes you have a beautiful wife, you have children, but like, you're not feeling anything different. Like nothing changed. Like you've reached this apex, but nothing is different because you haven't, you've, it's some of what you've been talking about. You've, You've driven everything into this, but then you're not feeling any different. You're not feeling the reward of reaching the apex societally. And then when you feel this way and people are expect or like you have these sub comments from people saying, oh, you, you have a ton of money. You should be happy. Everything should be good for you. You have a good house. You have a family. You don't have the same problems that we have not making very much money. And now, but it's like those issues are still internally there for you, but it's this expectation of society that you've already reached you've reached the top, you've reached the mountaintop and you should feel differently than we do. And we don't have those experiences anymore. So for me, that's one of the biggest issues that I see. The other is sometimes we get this draw, this idea of that I see that people see in the medical industry is, okay, I got the spot. Well, maybe if I made more money, so if I work harder, if I make more money, then it will be, then I'll start feeling better. So they even work harder to get more money, but that doesn't, that's not the solution. The solution is a well-rounded identity of who you are. And it's not just your work. Like you have to have other projects. You have to identify with your family. You have to identify with charitable work or other ideas or hobbies that are outside of yourself. But making more money doesn't drive you to to getting a well-rounded life because more money usually means you're spending more time at the office and more time in the business, which isn't the solution. And so those are the two main areas that I typically see is the societal influence and then this drive that, well, maybe money will solve the problem and make me feel better, but it doesn't, but they just keep going for more and more money. Either that's either through investing or just spending way more time at work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see that. I I love the point you're making, Justin. And one thing that I do see in my practice a lot, because I work with driven professionals, entrepreneurs, business owners, is that they get caught up in this idea that we have in our society, that we get these messages all the time, that when you have more money, it solves a lot of problems. And there are, to be fair, there are many challenges or issues that having more money can help or address or solve. However, quality relationships, meeting all of our needs 
it's not one of them. These these are things that, and as you're saying, I see this all the time. People who are making or own, you know, eight, nine plus ten plus figure businesses, and they really still struggle in a profound and fundamental way with their own emotions, with feeling happy. They keep message getting messages. I'm supposed to feel happy without understanding what that means, uh, which is one of the things that when I work with clients, I actually really help them break down and understand logically and then work their way into. Um, and it's interesting the way that you highlighted, Justin, is that it comes from two angles. One is externally and not just the messages that we hear, but then when when someone who's making it has, has made a great deal of success, has made a lot of money, has accumulated a lot of wealth, when they're sharing or talking about their challenges emotionally in their relationships, what they experience very often from the people around them is those things get dismissed as if money is supposed to make it all better or erase it, or as if they can't or shouldn't have those problems because of the money that they have. And then of course, you know, they're sitting in my office and and really struggling with that and like struggling with uh, how can I be friends with these people? Or I don't really feel like anybody gets me. Um, and, and then really struggling with what, what is this all supposed to be? And how do I, like, how am I supposed to understand life? How am I supposed to understand, uh, you know, what am I supposed to be doing here? And sometimes before they come into my office, they're in that cycle, just in this, just as you were saying, where they double down on work, they double down on their work identity. They double down on making more money or wealth as if th- that what other people are telling them and what they have seen and heard throughout so much of their life is true that if you just make more money, it's going to solve your problems. If you just focus on this one, focus on this one thing. And this is where the fixation really gets in the way of, of being able to see. And people talk about like a well-rounded or balanced life. Uh, I actually don't think that it needs to look that way. It's really about understanding your own needs and being attuned to what that is and creating a your personal mix. It's like a it's like a recipe. It's got to be a personal recipe. You got to taste it as delicious. It doesn't matter if someone else really likes something. Uh, you got to really like the recipe that makes up your life. Um, and so that's something that I definitely work with my clients on. I just love the way that you you framed it and phrased it. Um, and I certainly see that all the time. Yeah. I, 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 something that has popped in my head as well, just to kind of keep this conversation going, because I really have liked what you said there, is even this is like even at a governmental level, because you have the politicians telling people that if you make X amount of dollars, all your problems are solved. Like that's what that's not that's what they're saying, but that's what it feels like. Like you need to be taxed more. You need to have all these things. And that's to I think to the society that drives the the narrative that, oh, the people that make a lot of money already have all the issues and solved and we don't have to we don't need to worry about them anymore. So that they hear that message, too. I think we hear that message internally as you are making a lot of money and you reach the apex. And it's conflicting because you're like, I don't have my problem solved. I've just found a way to deliver value that's gotten me a, a, a high lot of, I've, or I've solved the money problem, but I haven't solved all these other problems. So just because I solved the money problem doesn't mean I've solved everything else. And then the other thing that popped in my head as you're saying is, I think oftentimes there's this idea that we're racing to something. So we we're racing to age 65 because that's like the artificial time frame in our life. And so if people feel like they're behind or like I'm not going to reach retirement, that they're they have to work harder to get there. But if you change the mindset to I have a lifetime and retirement really isn't something I have a skill here that I can most medical practitioners aren't physically exerting a lot of energy. So they can work for a long period of time deep into their livelihood. If they see it more as I have a lifetime to accomplish this and there is no race there is no end goal it's just me 
living my life in an enjoyable manner that similar to the rest of you described that is a recipe for that makes me feel fulfilled. I don't have to feel pressured to reach any set mark by society or set deadline. It's just me enjoying delivering value in my practice, connecting with my family versus racing to some arbitrary set goal that isn't really real. I, you you both raised some really important points. And a, I think a big takeaway that I'm hearing from this is from the two of you is really, it's the thing that I say a lot too, right? Slow down, assess and get super clear about what's most important to you. Connect with your values. Look at what's, you know, Yisha, I love that you pointed out, like it doesn't have to necessarily be a balance or like, you know, I, I like the word harmony, right? It needs to feel harmonious and you don't need 18 notes to have harmony. You only really only need to, right? So, you know, if you can figure out what is most important to you, then life becomes more enjoyable and you can start to chip away at the things that are draining your energy. Um, I think this is a great sequitur actually to another question that I have, which is, you know, what, now that we've looked at this 12 stages of burnout um, over the burnout progression, how do you personally recognize when you are starting to enter into burnout? I think for me, because it, it, I really like, I, I can get fixated on working. Like I really like, like I'm a, I really like working and I can really get sucked in to work. And so something that I've noticed is if I, when I finish my day, if I then keep like checking emails or keep checking my phone, like after dinner, before dinner, like that's a sign that I'm not letting go of, of work. So for me, because I do get sucked into fixation really easily, um, just because I, I really enjoy work and I find it easy to do. And I find it like I find joy in it. So for me, that's the step that I have to like really put barriers and boundaries around is I have a clear cutoff of work and everything else is focused on being intentional with my family and with my children. And if I don't do that, then if I break those boundaries, then that's where I, I know there's some issues going on or I'm, I'm starting down a path that I shouldn't. Yeah. Similarly to what you're saying, Justin, I'm, I really love the work that I do and I'm really passionate about it and I'm constantly thinking about it. And so and, and I think it's very common for people who are really driven and who really love the work that they do and who are really passionate about it. Um, and so one of the things that I've come to realize is in a moment, sometimes I notice it internally. Sometimes I'm getting a piece of feedback or someone's making a comment to me. When I notice I'm actually shifting priorities or deprioritizing other aspects of my life, whether that's family or a hobby that I like, or even something as simple as like working out or sleep, it's like, oh, I'm thinking to myself, it's nine o'clock. Let me just like watch one more YouTube video about how to like move, push my practice forward or let me, <laughs> um, or let me, let me think or plan a little bit more, not just about what I'm doing tomorrow, which is something I like to do as part of my wind down. Um, in the evening, but like, not, let me not just think about tomorrow. Let me plan out my next, uh, you know, two weeks, three weeks, six months. Let me think where I want to be like two years from now, two decades from now. Um, and when I notice that I'm doing that in a way that's actually pulling me away from other parts of my life that are really nourishing, that are really fulfilling. And when I'm doing that, especially for more than a couple of days or weeks at a time. So I think that there, I like this. I heard this once. I love the concept of we are sometimes people, or in other words, we have seasons. And there are moments or times where it is really useful to say, I'm going to take a few days and I'm really going to think intentionally and plan my next two months, uh, two quarters, two years, or even two decades. 
you know, it's it's great to have that if it's happening in a persistent way or in a not organized way. And if it doesn't have the kind of bookends around it. So once I start to notice that it's bleeding out, and to me, one of the obvious ways that that shows up is sleeping. Um, if I'm if I'm having trouble getting myself to bed, because um, fortunately I have an easier time falling asleep, but sometimes even still I'll go to bed and my brain's just going, going, going on something work-related. Uh, you know, it's a moment where I'm like, oh, I might need to slow myself down to, to the commentaries that you were saying. I, I might need to, this might be a moment to recognize that there's a part of me that's getting fixated in a way that's pushing myself, that could push myself over or into uh, burnout. And, you know, a piece of that that I think is really relevant is I think that we are constantly getting messages. Our brains, our emotions are giving us messages. Um, and oftentimes we shoot the messenger. We try to push the emotion away or think the emotion's bad. I'm feeling stressed or I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling um, run down. Instead of saying, oh, it's here to deliver a really important message, which is there's something here that's really important or going on, like really relevant to you that's going on. Sometimes that looks like, oh, I have this moment where I miss my family or a moment where I feel guilty or regretful about, uh, I was I was actually tuned out because I was thinking about something work-related when uh, I'm sitting with my daughter to eat dinner. And slowing down and recognizing that, oh, these are messengers, they're here to tell me something. What does that guilt or that remorse tell me? Oh, it's really important to me to be present with my family. And if I don't listen to that or reject it, I'm actually moving into that avoidance phase, into all of those things. And, and it can lead to all of those those aspects or elements, the stages of burnout that can, if I continue to ignore it, end up potentially leading to a, a total or full collapse. And that if you think about it, yeah, if I don't listen to those to those messages, and if I don't take something valuable out of them and make adjustments to my behaviors, the way that I'm approaching things, then I could just keep going on that path. And that will likely lead me to feeling more empty uh, and not engaging in parts of my life that are really fulfilling to me. You both talked, you both touched on some strategies a little bit, but I'd like to dive a little bit deeper with specific strategies for that either you personally have found useful or that you recommend to your clients to come back from if they're tipping into the later or any stages really of burnout that get them on that slope or to avoid altogether. So tips and strategies. A few things that I like to do is Number one for myself is I like to always have some trip or definite vacation that my wife or my children and I, or it doesn't have to be like a trip where we're leaving, but some sort of time frame where I'm not, where I'm going to be spending time with them on the calendar. So it's, I'm looking forward to it. It's already planned. I know that this is a good break time and it's, it's happening in two months, three months down the road. And it comes in those type of cycles where it's, purposely breaking up, um, whether it's three days off or a week off, but it's a purposeful break, then it's anticipated. It's going to be fun for me. I know that my children are excited about it. I know that my wife is excited about it. So it keeps it keeps this outside of work thing really on the schedule and on my mind and in my life where I know a break is coming in. It's scheduled ahead. The other one that I think for me, just because I'm on the, 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 the money side of things is if you can create ways to find, so you're, you're making all this money, but oftentimes, even when you make a lot of money, if your expenses are still high, like it feels like you're not, like you still feel like I'm not 
there's still I don't have a lot of saved here. There's not a lot of buffer. There's not a lot of certainty. So if you can find ways to create automations in the way that you're saving money, if you can find ways to save taxes, if you can find ways just to be more efficient with your money, you're going to specifically with high income earners, you're going to find 20, 30, hundreds of thousands of dollars that is leaving you unnecessarily that can stay with you, can be set aside for specifically for certainty and for I know that I'm going to survive if anything goes wrong. And that can provide the the message to our brain that it's okay to shut off because I don't have to keep making more money because I have something that's building here that I've already earned. It's mine and I've captured it and kept it. So I don't have to constantly be grinding for more and more and more because this is because the this financial piece is a part of all of this. If you don't have like if you haven't been saving anything and you don't have the money, you do have to go to work again and you do have to go again. But if you can start to create a life where it's work optional and obviously that takes time. But even if in the beginning stages of setting aside a certainty savings fund where there's dollars available that I know that I could take off a day or two and not die. I don't I could not lose my practice, not lose my family, not have my house taken away from me. That provides a level of certainty that drives the ability to take time off, that drives the ability to, I don't have to, like, I can schedule something on the future and not worry about not working because I have this financial stability. But if you don't have that, and if you haven't set up those automations or learn to save taxes or learn to be more efficient, then it's just this constant drive to keep going, 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 because you do have to, because you probably have bought a house that's really expensive and you probably have a car that's really expensive. And if you have all these expenses, that you drive you to work more and that just plays into everything that we're talking about. So those are the two things for me that could be helpful to people. Yeah, Justin, I I love what you're saying. I actually, a a personal story that really resonates with that is I just came back from two weeks of vacation and it's the first two week vacation I've taken in I don't even know how long. Um, And certainly in at least a couple of years that I've taken a vacation that was more than a couple of days um, and not for a holiday or something. And one of the things that I realized, especially after starting and having my own practice is unless and until really I had intentionally set aside, here's a certain amount of money that I know that I make generally over a period of two weeks. Now that I have that money, I could take two weeks off and it will slot right in there. Um, And so I don't need to think or worry about taking two weeks off because I've set aside the essentially the like pay myself for those two weeks that I'm off already. Until I'd done that, I didn't feel comfortable. And it was really, really hard for me to even conceive of, oh my gosh, I'm going to take time off. Um, and so, and you know, when you compound that with how much I love working, um, you know, and <laughs> slight story related to that, I did a little bit of work at the at the beginning and at the end <laughs> of my vacation. Um, I just really loved it. Um, and I was very intentional about at least the middle, the most of the middle portion, like the, except for the first day or two, the last day or two. Um to really, to really be present and enjoy the time uh, with family and and uh, relaxing and all of that, and so just to the point you were saying, I think it's it's really relevant. And sometimes it's a big piece of that is knowing your numbers, knowing your benchmarks. Um, and I think that brings me to my biggest tip. My first tip is awareness is number one. You need to you need to have clarity, and you need to be able to recognize what are the things that are really essential to me. And, and then start asking yourself, how do I create those things? How do I create room for those things? And how do I, how do I adapt or how do I make sure that I'm being responsive to them? So the, the one end that we were, that you were just talking about, Justin, and, and, and that I was sharing my own story about is on a kind of financial and, and 
and kind of personal level. And then I think in an in an internal on an internal level, a piece of that is really, and I mentioned this before, is being attuned to your emotions and what they're telling you because emotions are not random. Something that I often talk about is that uh, people don't generally feel angry when they get a gift that's the thing they've been dreaming of for weeks or months or years. They feel happy or excited or elated uh, or overjoyed and sometimes overwhelmed. Um, and people generally don't feel happy when someone disrespects them. They'll feel angry. Um, and they generally don't feel happy when they're in danger. They feel fear. Our emotions are not random. And the way that I understand that is emotions are there to give us messages and to help us adapt our behaviors, to make changes in context of this new information or no, new understanding of what I need or what's going on in my environment or in my life um, and what might happen in the future. And so a piece of that for me, and this is something I work with my clients on all the time, uh, whether that's coaching or, or in therapy, is, is being able to become more attuned to and responsive to when your emotions show up. Because if you don't, then those emotions, I, I like to, the analogy I like to use is they're kind of like a firefighter where they come knocking because there's smoke pouring out of the window because there's some sign or signal that something may happen or is happening that could be really problematic or blow up in your face. And they're not just going to go away when you're ignoring them. What they do is they they actually get bigger and bigger and they bust down the door. Um, and an alternative way of approaching that is just open the door when they come knocking. Don't make them come pounding, grab the axe, the battering ram and, and you know, and smash your door in. Uh, learn how to and, and build a relationship with them where you invite them in and you you understand them better and you respond to them when they show up. And what I found and what my clients have found uh, like almost 100% of the time, 95, 99% of the time is that it's so powerful. It turns something that feels like a liability, the stress, the anxiety, the overwhelm. It turns all of that from being this uncomfortable, uh, challenging, difficult, unhelpful experience into something you can actually leverage and something that's really useful. And so in terms of, I think that awareness and and being attuned to the signals, especially along the way, and the earlier you can be attuned to them, the earlier and more quickly you can notice them, the more practice you get at that, the more, the more you'll be primed and able to effectively prevent or manage uh, really respond to um, the burnout as as it's trying to send you these messages. Because I look at the 12 stages and I'm like, there's 11 stages of messages that your brain is giving you. Uh, and then there's one stage where it's like, well, I've spent 11, 11 stages and lots of time trying to give you these messages and you're refusing to get them. Uh, we're just going to bring you to your knees now. And you're going to have to get the message. That's, that's the battering ram. The analogy of the firefighters and the battering ram, that's that's going to stick. <laughs> That's really going to stick and give us, give us something to think about. And I think, you know, hearing you frame it that way, um, Yeshai, that those first 11 stages are the messengers. They're the firefighters knocking on the door. That sounds like we could all, that tells me that we could all slow down and pay attention and get in touch with how, with our thoughts and our feelings and get curious about them so that we don't get to the point where we've been brought to our knees. Yeah, it was really powerful. So speaking of coming to our knees, what if it does get to that point? Let's say our 
practice owners are just sort of floating along and they're doing their thing and they've got all these things that they haven't paid attention to that drive, 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 drive. And they do get to that point of stage 12, the real, the burnout syndrome, and they've been brought to their knees. What are some of the potential consequences for them business-wise and also just as a human being? I think uh, on my side, what I see, the consequences that typically happen are they have they've abandoned their their family sometimes at this point. So they've lost the relationship with their significant other. They've lost the relationship with their children. And so there's a potential familial loss there of you're going to have to do a lot of healing and repair to fix that, which is possible. Um, there's people I know that have gone through that. And, and I know people that can help fix that as well, that have reestablished those bonds. But to me, that's one. Another one is you might have, there's usually addictions that pop up here in the later stages that will, you're going to have to overcome. And th- that's a, a journey in and of itself. And then on the business side, like if you do get to the point where you're done, like you could realistically not want or even have a desire to go back to your practice and you have to switch careers and s- start over with something else. And so th- those are three losses that I see as significant. Um, but the nice thing is, is all three can be overcome. It's just that it's, you've gotten to the point of not fixing it before. So you're gonna have to do some really heavy work to fix them on the backside. Yeah, I love that. And I've certainly seen all of those. Um, as you're, you're speaking, Justin, the, the image that came to mind is it's kind of like a boulder rolling downhill. The longer and the more that it goes, the harder it is to stop and the more damage it can cause. And it doesn't mean that it's all irreversible. It does mean that there's an accumulation of time, energy, effort, work that's going to be necessary in order to even have a chance of repairing those things. And sometimes they can be repaired and other times it reaches a breaking point and it's not possible. And, you know, so on the, on the kind of we'll say lighter side, I've seen everything from more irritability, snapping, treating staff and patients with less care, um, treating family and friends in ways that are, you know, kind of create much more conflict or more distance. And that can be kind of on the, on the quote unquote lighter side, all the way to really losing friends, losing family, um, estrangement I've certainly seen as well, which is really unfortunate. And again, not that it can't be overcome. It's just, the that ball as it rolls downhill will just continue to grow in momentum and in and then the damage that it's causing along the way um and you know in in extreme cases i've certainly even encountered people who start to have thoughts of is this a life worth living um and while in my practice i don't work with people who are like actively suicidal i certainly have worked with people who don't want to die but their life as it is needs to end uh in other words specifically they need so much change the way that they're currently living is not only not sustainable, it's so unfulfilling that that particular way of living needs to die and they need to create or reform a new way of living. And so, you know, there's, there's so many deep, deep consequences. And, and I mean, even just what I'm talking about there is like in a, a, a deeper kind of form of depression. Um, and again, I've seen everything in between. I mean, there's, there's so much and it, and again, it just accumulates and it hits all these different areas and it starts to spread. I've seen it become much more 
pervasive or spread to other parts of life. So even if someone is in their work, they're doing pretty well, but then their relationships or in their personal life or in their own internal personal fulfillment, those pieces start to accumulate. They lose their hobbies. They lose, you know, connection with people that they used to do things, whether it's bike riding or kayaking or whatever it is they really love to do. And then it becomes really hard to rebuild those things. And sometimes they lose a piece or pieces or sense of themselves. And then there's a this whole process of needing or wanting to rebuild that. And that is a lot of work. Um, you know, I, an analogy that I like to use, I'm a really nerdy guy, so I use a lot of physics analogies. One of them is entropy. Uh, there's this like idea that entropy uh, just increases over time, chaos increases over time. And another way of framing that is entropy is just the result of small efforts that are not exerted to maintain order, or in this case, to maintain fulfillment. So when we're not putting in the time, energy, the efforts to maintain the parts of our lives that are really fulfilling our relationships, our family, uh, even parts of our work, um, and, and certainly parts outside of it, then the lack of those small and continual efforts will compound. They become this boulder that just continues to grow in mass and momentum and, and create a great deal more damage. And then if we want to go back, we have all of these accumulated small efforts that we then need to go back and put in gargantuan efforts, huge efforts to try to undo and then recreate or rebuild. Uh, and so when you think or look at it that way, uh, you can kind of just visualize uh, the potential consequences and how important it is to actually see it happening earlier on in the process and address it as early on in the process as possible. I'm processing this a little bit, but I'm also thinking like <clears throat> not to be dramatic, but it can happen quickly. It's a very slippery slope. And I think we have a lot of conditioning and then our own stuff, you know, that we bring with us in our knapsack. And, you know, I think it's this rate raising awareness, like burnout is not a badge of honor. Burnout is a serious condition and it can have catastrophic consequences. And um, I think my, you know, the thing I just want to keep highlighting is recognizing, and Yisha, you said this too, recognizing those signs like that if we can see it and address it earlier, then that boulder doesn't start getting that momentum to really go and, you know, become this out of control wrecking ball. Um, yeah, it's something to really think about, you know, um, and to continue. And I think, so I think there are some things that we can all do in our daily lives. I would love to hear some examples of like, what are some things that we can do to start to recognize and to check in with ourselves, perhaps on, perhaps on a daily basis or as a part of a practice, how can we recognize it, get in touch with ourselves? One thing, a couple of things that come to mind for me, and I often encourage people uh, to try some experiments get one extra hour of sleep more than you currently do for a week or two. Really be diligent about that and then see how you feel. Be intentional about carving out time that you specifically don't do work, that you spend with family or friends. Uh, do that for a couple of weeks and see how you feel. And like the, the goal here is not to overburden yourself. Sometimes that means take 120 seconds in the morning before you get out of bed to stretch. And I've literally given that recommendation and it can be life-changing because the thing is, and there's some really beautiful research on this. There's actually market research that shows that what we think doesn't always translate into what actually feels great. Um, 
you know, and the, the market research was uh, Campbell did some research. I think it was back in the fifties or sixties asking people what they want in a pasta sauce. And then they made 46 kinds of pasta sauce and nearly went bankrupt because nobody bought them more than once. Um, and that created actually revolution in the marketing industry because marketing research industry, because what they later did was they made a bunch of types of pasta sauce and then they had people try it and then rate them afterwards. And when they got ratings, they used that data to produce like two or three kinds of pasta sauce and then their business took off and they just ignored everything else. And so the the really key piece here is to allow yourself to try things and specifically carve out time to try things so that you can learn and work on resourcing yourself in the ways that you really need. And the only way we're going to figure that out is actually by intentionally trying those things. I mean, one thing you can do is speak to somebody who, or, or do some research on what are some things that might really be useful. Don't just take them at their word though. See it all as an experiment. And I, as I said, try getting an extra hour of sleep more than you currently do, and then see how you feel, see what happens. In terms of your productivity, in terms of how you feel on a daily basis, uh, try carving out specifically whether it's one, uh, you know, one night a week or one day out of the weekend to spend with family or friends and not do any amount of work. Um, and those are just examples. Tailor them to yourself. If that doesn't fit into the, your life currently, then think about or at least imagine or reimagine a way in which it can. Maybe it's an hour in the morning. You're helping your kids get ready, or maybe it's putting your kids to bed or reading reading a book to them. Maybe it's uh, intentionally going to the playground with your kids and running around. Um, you know, it, it could be any number of things. Just starting and start small. This is the other thing. I know I'm giving you like, I don't know, I'm throwing like 10 kinds of, you know, paint at the canvas. Um, but don't try to be Picasso uh, all at once. You know, try one thing, see how it goes. And if it works, then mark that down, write it down for yourself, keep it in front of you and keep that piece going and then try something else. And what that will do is it creates a different kind of snowball effect, a snowball effect where you're learning how to resource yourself. What are the things that give you fulfillment? And here's another little tip. As we grow and get older and change and our life circumstances change, our needs also change. And so continuing this tinkering process, what I call it, uh, really allows you to not just keep up and, and get your needs met, but keep up with the changes that are happening for yourself and in your life so that this isn't just about avoiding burnout. It's also about creating a very fulfilling life, which I think is almost, if you think about it, almost like the other side of the coin to burnout, which is a very unbalanced uh, life where we're ignoring and and not even attuned to uh, the parts of our lives that are so, so important. I really like what was just said there. That was really well said. Uh, just a few things that they can add to that snowball over time as they experiment with what works for them. I've found that exercise is really powerful for me. Uh, so I really enjoy like weightlifting and, and strength training type of activities that for me is really powerful. Other people might not like that, but they can still find an exercise that works for them, running, swimming, jogging, hiking, biking. There's so many different activities that can typically align somewhere with someone, but getting your heart beating, getting outside of yourself, pushing your muscles can help alleviate some of that stress. Uh, another thing that works well for me is just finding doesn't have to, I don't, I, I mean, sometimes I only get like three minutes, but five to 10 minutes of just nice sitting in myself and meditation. And just, I, I like to listen to like nature sounds and just be present. And this is a good way. I think it goes back to your last point, which is identifying and be able to sense something that might be wrong because the meditation can, can bring those things out. But those two things for me have helped. 
another thing that I that could help for someone is if they labeled their morning as their power hour. It doesn't have to be an hour, but it's their power up phase of I'm priming my day for uh, for what's coming. But it's doing things not work related, but that are are separate from and building their self up towards being productive and avoiding that burnout phase of what could come. I love that. And I'm like mentally smacking myself in the forehead for not mentioning exercise and meditation because it's like such a, such a core piece of, of mental health. Um, and I also really appreciate that the idea of like being intentional that that power hour is just carving out time of what is fulfilling. What do I need to do? What are things that are important for me to do that are not work related in my day? Um, those are just all awesome. Thank you, Justin. I think intentionality keeps coming up as well. I keep hearing, you know, a lot of reference to this and Yishai, you said something that really, really struck me, which is um, that living a fulfilled life is, I think you said it's counter to, or maybe the antidote to burnout and that it's, it's almost like they're polar opposites, right? And so what does it mean to live a fulfilled life? I think we've also got some conditioning around that. That's like, well, if you just work hard, then you'll have everything and you'll check all those boxes and you'll be fulfilled. It's not really about being fulfilled. It's that sense of fulfillment. And so that doesn't have to necessarily be balance or a certain level of achievement or a certain amount of money. It's that sense of being that we can create on a daily basis. And something that I work with, with my clients is, you know, how do we need to be feeling in order to achieve certain goals? So you can still, it doesn't mean give up all of your, your ambition, right? Fulfillment is really, you know, I am content and happy. And I have this sense of fulfillment with what I currently have, even while I strive for more in other areas of my life and career. So I think that this is really, really lovely. And I, I think it's a way also to tie in to our final question, which is about how can we as a community better su support one another so that we can help one another recognize the signs of burnout or, you know, tap into that feeling of fulfillment. And I think we need a lot more of that in our professional lives. So I would love to hear from you if you have some ideas about how as a community we can support one another more effectively. I think that for me, one of the things that I'm trying to help paint is a, a different story because the story that's that's told to society as a whole is we got to grind, we got to work as hard as possible. It's do, 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 do. But if we can paint a different vision for people um, in our conversations and the way that we're approaching it, we all have different professions here. But if we all can paint a vision of you don't have to grind, you don't have to work super hard to still reach the highest levels. And it's a paradox to people because honestly, the things that we're talking about, like what, what we just talked about as, as you pull back, I see oftentimes people go even bigger, like they even reach higher levels than they were reaching before. But it's like paradoxical in the mind is if I pull back then I'm not going to, to reach my highest levels. And this is just completely anecdotal for people. But if you can keep painting this picture to people, there was a, a deadlifter He'd already broken the world record once in his life. He took like five months off and he came back and broke his other record. He didn't lift for five straight months and he broke his world record when he came back after five months off. The gentleman that first broke the four minute mile barrier, he took two months off before he broke that barrier. He didn't run for two months and then he came and raced and broke the, the four minute mile barrier. So taking time off and pulling back oftentimes will help you reach further. And if we as a 
all professions can help paint that picture for people and help cement that as the reality, I think that is the way that we can have the narrative change and help people actually make it. Because people have to have a vision. They have to hold on to something. But right now, the current vision and the current narrative is I have to work, 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 work. And so if we as all professionals can change that narrative, I think for me, that's the step that needs to be taken in helping each other reach the stop this, stop this, what's going on. I really love that. And and the the image, the analogy is like, slow down, take that break, take the time off and trust that when you've put in a great deal of work, especially when the work you're doing is building something, you're building in, a, in essence an asset that will over time compound and get better. And it requires less and less effort over time. And then when you put in efforts, it goes much further. The analogy that comes to mind is uh, the flywheel. Um from Jim Collins, which it takes a lot of energy to get it to go or to start going. And once you do, it's not, it's not like an infinite perpetual machine. It does still require some efforts to keep going. And then when you do these little pushes later on, then it does have a much uh, larger impact or it has a significant effect. Um, you know, and to tie something, Tracy, that you were saying to Justin, something you were saying is the, the messages we get are that fulfillment, success, it's this thing that you just win and you win it after you've worked hard, once you've accomplished some kind of goal, financial wealth, especially. And this is the story that we get told or that's often painted for us. And what that does is it pushes us to optimize for uh, financial success, for wealth, for uh, making lots of money and for working as the vehicle to get there. And meanwhile, to, to tie it to another point, Justin, that you'd made, when we think about retirement at 65, uh, what we're often thinking is, when I retire, I will then have time to engage in or be with my friends, my family. But if along the way, we're all we're only optimizing or exclusively optimizing for how do I make more money? How do I work harder to get there faster? Then we're actually missing the point. Because the real point is, how do I build or create a life that has a great deal of fulfillment for me? Not just with family, which is really important for so many people. Also for our hobbies, for our you know physical health, for how we feel in our body. And I wanted to take a step back and, and add to that kind of shifting the story. The way that we think about it is so fixed as if being happy is something that you accomplish at some point in time. And then like a diploma, it sits up on your wall and you, you just have it forever. And, and we often think about fulfillment in a very similar way. And if there's one thing I would say that we could help people shift or change, it would be that Fulfillment is a message. Happiness is a message. It is as emotions, as experiences, it is my brain, my body, my heart telling me what you are doing is nourishing yourself. It's nourishing your life. It is meaningful to you. It gives you the things that are deeply important to you. And keep going in that way, in that vein, is what that message really is saying. If we'd never received that message, then we would try something, If it, even if it were fulfilling, we wouldn't have the kind of flag planted in it that says, keep doing this, keep going here. In other words, it's almost like this cheerleader for us. Um, and very often when we just think about it as this fixed thing that I will accomplish, I will be there and everything will be okay or be fine or be great, then we're actually missing the entire point. And we're also missing out on the way of relating 
to the parts of us that are saying, hey, make this course correction so you don't go off in a different direction that's not going to get you what you need. And hey, this is this is the course you're on is, is really great right now. Stay on this course. Be intentional about X, Y, Z, whatever the things are that you're doing, your your meditation, your workout, your family time, uh, the specific, maybe the specific goal that you have accomplished, celebrate that uh, in your in your work life, um, in your business. And I think that is so powerful. And another way of doing that, and just to add another piece is connection. When we connect to other people who are in the trenches the way we are, or who are passionate like we are, who are, in a sense, they get us and we get them, we can also help to shift that narrative because we can all, we can sit around and I've literally sat down with colleagues and said, oh, this is really hard for me. And they'll say to me, yeah, it is really hard. And then we talk about, okay, so how, and and once we're openly talking about it, we start to to think and talk about, okay, how do we incorporate these things? How do we solve these problems? Or how do we refocus? And just that it, that itself creates bonds and it can create bonds of friendship. It can create bonds of, you know, feeling like you have these colleagues who really get you. And that itself can also be fulfilling in addition to helping you stay focused or on track with what are the things that mean the most to you? And you also then have people who check you. They're like, hey, I think you're getting a little too fixated on work. And what you're telling me is, you know, your kids are actually really, really craving you and you're not as there for them. Hey, what's the deal, man? Uh, like, are, are you are you really going to keep doing that? Or when are you going to shift? Um, and I also want to acknowledge that we we are sometimes people, we live in seasons, and maybe there is a season to work really hard. It's important not to have that be every season. I really, really like that. And just something that, a picture that came to mind, and just, uh, I'll finish with this, and then maybe there's more. But for me, like what we've been talking about, it's, if we look at like the people that are surmounting like Everest and such. They're they're always going up and then they come back down and then they go up a little higher and then they come back down. If they went straight up, they would literally, they would die. They would kill themselves. And so that's what's happening in business right now is people are just going straight up and they're never coming back down and never stopping. And they're, they're killing themselves metaphorically. And so you have to go up and come back down, go up and come back down with all of the things that have been said here. I think it's been really fascinating, but that image of Everest really uh, struck true in my brain. So I wanted to to mention that. I think that might be a really good metaphor for life. It's not a straight line. It's not, it's not necessarily a destination. Of course we set goals and we have places where we want to go, but it's often not direct. It's uh, often a bit messy, but there's a lot that we can learn along the way. And maybe we do need to slow that down or to come drop elevation in order to give our body and our minds and our spirits and all of us time to catch up with where we're headed with what we've done so far. That's a, that's a great metaphor. Uh, Before we wrap up, if you have any final thoughts or a piece of advice that you'd like to share. I'll just with, with the wealth side of things. I know that's a big, one of the big issues here is that people are shooting for this X number in the future that they have to reach. And this is where they have to be to feel fulfilled, whether they're racing their colleagues or they're racing themselves, or they've just set this arbitrary number. If you learn to just keep the money you're making by creating automations in the way you save, by not paying as much in taxes, by just investing more in yourself and versus trying to invest in all these other assets to reach your goals, it's kind of like what we've been talking about. You're going to get to that point in a much more safe and non-grinding way. And it's not terribly difficult. Like you just create systems around the way that you 
You don't have to like think about it 24-7. The way you pay yourself is systematized and automated. The way you approach your tax planning is systematized and automated. You have to do some work, but it's not a ton. And it's not like you're you're shooting from the moon. It's just, I made this dollar. It's my, the value that I created, created it. And so I should be entitled to keep as much of that as possible. And as you do those systems and set those barriers, you're going to keep that. And that will help you not have to race to the top because you've created a certainty piece and a piece of dollars that if you didn't do them, we're going to leave you as an expense and going to be gone from your life forever. But if you keep those with you every single year, those in and of themselves will compound and those in and of themselves, those dollars that you're keeping will eventually build and build and help you reach that pinnacle that you're shooting for without having to keep grinding. And, and Yeah, I love that. The word that comes to mind is sustainability. Sustainability is about engaging in the process, in business, in your personal life, in every facet of your life that allows you to continue to move forward and move upward and to continue to accomplish and reach your goals. and. So what that really reminds me of, and a lot of a lot of this to me comes down to boundaries. And I talk about boundaries so often with, with so many of my clients. Boundaries, the way I think about them is they create, I call them the six S's. They create space, space for me, space that I know is mine. They create safety and security, which is, you know, that space is not intruded on by other people or by other things, by work, by by things that aren't meaningful or aren't fulfilling to me or that I choose don't belong. They also create stability, structure, and sustainability. And I know that's probably a lot to process, but ultimately, when we think about it is when I am intentional about what I am doing and what I'm not doing, it allows me to not just have the clarity for it, but to set up those systems and processes to make sure that I uphold them so that the actions I'm taking and the results that I'm getting and the direction that I'm heading uh, I love the the term and the concept of directionally correct. I don't have to be. I don't have to hit the bullseye the first time I you know pick up the bow and arrow or, or first time I, I kind of reach for the target, uh, you know, shoot for the target. What I really need to do is consistently be getting closer to that target and closer to that bullseye. And over time, with with the intention and with that process, which is very much about what what boundaries help us do is focus in on what needs to be included and screen out what needs to be excluded in order to really make that progress and head towards where we want to go without external factors and forces constantly intruding and knocking us off course. This conversation has been so rich and I think all of us are learning a lot and we have a lot to, to consider and to, to take with us today. So I just want to thank you so much for coming here uh, for those of us in the U S pretty early, especially for Justin. So thank you very much for coming. I so appreciate you sharing your expertise. I think the knowledge that you've brought today is something that can really make an impact on all of us. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Thriving Practice. I appreciate you. And I have an ask. If you got value from this show, make sure to share it. You can give a shout out on social media or tell your friends and colleagues about it. You can also subscribe so you never miss a show. To learn more about how we work with practice owners to help them take back their time, head over to tracytrupesky.com. While you're there, sign up for our newsletter, which has tips and tools for your practice success. 
A special thanks to our incredible team and thanks to you, our dear listener, for sharing the gift of your time and attention. I wish you so much success as you continue to move forward in your day. If I can be a resource to you, let's schedule a time to talk. You can find the scheduling link on our website.